Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Blunt Business. Thanks for joining us. My next guest counsels clients on the evolving complex legal and business issues impacting companies with interests in the regulated substances industries. His experience encompasses investigations and administrative and enforcement proceedings brought by federal, state, and self-regulatory bodies, including the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, the Florida Attorney General's Office, the Florida Department of Financial Services, and the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation. Joining me now with the firm uh, Ackerman LLP, the chair of the Cannabis Practice Group, Jonathan Robbins, here on Blunt Business. Jonathan, thanks for being on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for making the time to go and join us. I want to bring up a whole lot here when it comes to, in regards to insurance, uh, when it comes to banking and the financial uh, state that we are right now in the cannabis industry. There's going to be a lot of information I want to give everyone out there, a lot of stats, a lot of information that's been brought out currently. I'm going to bring that up and intertwine that into our conversation today. So for those Keep a keen, a keen ear to what we're going to be talking about here now. First of all, there's a recent survey that came out from the Independent Community Bankers of America. It stated that 65% of respondents would support cannabis reform, which would permit banks to work with state-level companies. 71% of respondents said improved access to financial systems within the cannabis sector would reduce the dangers of the current cash-based market. Even more participants said that delays in banking services pose a safety threat to cannabis companies. Now, before we go and talk about the workarounds that can be used in current banking regulations to protect assets, we're going to get into that. I want to talk about the effort to provide banking relief. Now, recently, the National Association of State Treasurers, so every state treasurer around the country, recently reaffirmed their support for the Safe Banking Act, which will grant marijuana companies 
access to traditional banking services. Quote, and the, the story I'm going to read from here, they say, we know right now, if SAFE were to come up, it would be a 65 to 70% vote, according to an industry spokesperson. We know the votes are there for SAFE, so our focus is on getting SAFE over the finish line. Jonathan, do you see some government relief or the SAFE Banking Act itself coming through sometime after the midterm elections? Is that something that might be realistic or feasible right now? There, there's certainly been a lot of optimism around the Safe Banking Act, but as history tells us, it's been it's made its way past the House a couple of times now and has uh, petered petered out in the Senate. And uh, I anticipate, sadly, that that's what's going to happen again, particularly given the fact that we have a midterm le- year and a lot of this is politically motivated. So, you know, you have a, a, a Chuck Schumer uh, and and the folks on the left side of the aisle who really want comprehensive reform. Uh, and then there is bipartisan support for banking reform because it just makes sense for a, for a variety of reasons. I think all of the reform makes sense for a variety of reasons. But right. um, certainly, uh, I think that those on the right side of the aisle have been supportive of the Safe Banking Act and other uh, banking reform legislation that has been uh, proposed. But uh, the, the the rumor that I'm hearing is that uh, you know the the Democrats uh, again, particularly because it's an election year really are not interested in sort of nibbling around the edges of cannabis reform. They're looking for comprehensive reform that would include, you know, descheduling or rescheduling cannabis as a schedule one, or, or I should say THC as a schedule one controlled substance, um, social justice reforms, uh, banking reform, tax reform, uh, and, and uh, of course, the expungement of cannabis related offenses. And I can't help but every time I see where we have, OK, lame duck session, maybe we're going to get something here. You know, I don't know if it's just the amount of lobbying dollars that need to be pushed in, which I understand that, you know, we've talked about plenty of times on the program where Big Pharma injects about one hundred twenty million dollars a year into D.C. lobbying. Meanwhile, the cannabis industry, with the help of the uh, alcohol and tobacco industries, have injected $40 million. So we know there's a, there's a difference there. It could be some pushback on that part. But for any politician right now to get a win in, in this current state where people are not happy about inflation, not happy about you know various other issues, you would think that Congress needs to go in just for themselves. I'm not talking about the president, but Congress themselves, they could use a win right now and say, listen, you could further cannabis right now, which is a bipartisan issue. Just on that, you know, just a political strategy alone, you would think they want to do that, but they, I don't know what it is. Like what kind of a power play is left for them? What kind of, what more capital could they expect to receive? What more is it control power? Is there something more? Do you feel like when we see this continues to go on, you know, is it just a bargaining chip and there's still more to bargain with more to negotiate? It's it's such a good question and one that I I don't know that I necessarily have an answer for and, and I guess it was probably rhetorical, uh, in, in, at least in part. Um, well, I'll bring up the point because it's been three years and it's like you know I don't know what it is to me that will do any any difference. Okay, you've gotten our money. The industry's right. given you money. They've given you you know whatever clout you've you've been taking out to dinner. You've been taking out for whatever you want. What else do you need? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It seems like for whatever reason, cannabis is uh, not necessarily the highest on the priority list among the uh, among the legislature and among the executive branch. And so every time there's something and, and, and of course, I completely get it. You know, we had COVID. Now we're dealing with 
you know, a, a an inflation problem, and we're dealing with people who have to be able to afford gas and mortgages, and I totally understand that. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we're not a country that can only do one thing at a time. We could certainly chew gum and 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 pat our head at the same time and walk at the same time. Yeah. So there's no reason, uh, other than you know what I could think of as politically motivated reasons for at least uh, banking. Of course, it seems like the no-brainer. It seems like uh, the tax reform 280e should be a no-brainer. Right. Well, 280e is another subject and probably another. Uh, another radio show that we could talk oh, about. Oh, we've talked about it. I can tell you there's a number of episodes I've had. I can tell you, uh, go back and listen to my interview with um, Foresight Financial and Jason Brown. I actually yep. had him on. We specifically talked about 280E. I know we've had a couple other attorneys I've brought that question up to, but I would definitely go back to that episode. We went really extensive on that. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, um, no, I, but that's, it's, it's, I hate the fact that we still have to do sessions on it. We still have to discuss it and, and the ramifications behind it. But it's, I don't know. Yeah, we do. It's, it's these, there's still these levers that can be pushed right now, but they're not. Now, I want to talk about one lever that could be pushed in and to help benefit the cannabis industry. Uh, Benzinga talked to Robert Barron, an expert in cannabis banking and a certified anti-money laundering specialist. He said that safe banking legislation is the wrong solution for the right problem. He said a simple solution to support cannabis banking would be to update the guidance that underpins the ability to bank cannabis that was issued in 2014 by the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network Act, FinCEN, part of the Treasury Department. And that would empower bankers to leverage advanced technology and automation while preserving limited and valuable resources to conduct effective anti-money laundering due diligence that mitigates the real risks posed to the U.S. financial system by bad actors and illicit finance schemes. And he also says, quote, by eliminating useless regulatory uh, requirements like uh, marijuana limited SARs and supporting the adoption of new data driven automation technology, financial institutions can achieve efficiencies to ensure that banking cannabis can be a sustainable endeavor. And that will increase the availability and lower the cost of banking options for the cannabis industry by reducing the compliance costs of banking cannabis. What do you think about that? Well, I, I certainly think his points are valid, and what he's saying is factually absolutely accurate. The problem, in my view, is that the 2014 FinCEN guidance was really nothing more than that. It was guidance, right? And mm -hmm. so while the while that FinCEN guidance basically gave, a, a, um, gave the thumbs up to banking and financial institutions to be able to bank the industry while, while still imposing requirements like you talked about, SARs, uh, and 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 other compliance obligations. The fact is that most of the banks. I mean, we have about what seven thousand uh, or so. Oh no, about five thousand FDIC insured banks, and about seven hundred of them are doing business with the cannabis industry, even though they've been given the green light. And the reason is because they're like, look, it's guidance. That's great. Um, I need a law. If I'm going to deal with my investors and my institutional clients, uh, and I'm going to you know, really shake up what's going on at my bank, particularly a federally chartered FDIC insured bank, uh, then then just guidance from FinCEN's not going to be enough. And we know that history tells us that that guidance could be revoked because that's exactly what happened with Jeff Sessions uh, and the Cole memorandum yeah. that that the FinCEN guidance was sort of founded upon. He came in uh, during the prior administration and said, no, I'm rescinding the Cole 
memorandum. Nothing ultimately happened. It didn't matter because U.S. attorneys right. generals really didn't respond. But again, I I, I just think in, as a practical matter uh, to make it happen, the banks are going to need a law on the books to make them really want to do this. And that's the other part where it's like, even if you could just find certain things that are just within some of the current legislation or some of the current uh, laws that are in place that we even can't have just something where a little bit of opening, <clears throat> but I mean, I'll, I'll give credit to the banks out there. Cause as we, you just mentioned, mentioned actually, uh, according to what I'm reading here, 4,200 FDIC insured banks. And we're going to talk about the fact of how there are 755 that are offering offering services right now for the cannabis industry. We're going to talk about the current state of banking today. We're going to go more into depth on that. With my guest, Jonathan Robbins, chair of the Cannabis Practice Group at Ackerman LLP here on Blunt Business. We're going to go to short break. Stay around. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. We're back on Blunt Business with Jonathan Robbins, chair of the Cannabis Practice Group at Ackerman LLP. So before the break, I mentioned we we're going to talk about the state of cannabis banking today. So here's what we have. No more legislation. What can we do in banking right now in the industry as we, as we speak? So it's currently handled by only a small portion of the country's FDIC-insured banks who are willing to service cannabis companies operating legally under state law. According to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, 755 banks now service the cannabis industry, and that's out of 4,200 FDIC-insured banks. Forbes reports, because of the federal impediment, major credit card companies don't service the industry, which means most transactions at state legal cannabis stores are in cash, and for businesses looking to get a loan, typical resources like the Small Business Administration's low-interest loans, I don't know how low they would be now, <clears throat> are unavailable. Alternative lenders willing to take the risk and fill the void, but most offer sky-high interest rates. Now, talk to me about the issues, Jonathan, about lending for companies and how much the current economic climate now has compromised lending for Canada businesses. Obviously, we know interest rates are going to go higher. I can only imagine how much has to be how much interest has we put aside for any loan these days? Sure. It's um, it's it's pretty draconian and, and hard to deal with. And it certainly makes it difficult for uh, cannabis companies, which, you know, most people read about and look and see in the news and see the stores on the corners in states that have legal uh, either adult use or medical use cannabis. And they're saying, oh, my gosh, these companies must be just raking in the money and it's a cash business and all these things. Well, you know, not so fast, because as we mentioned, the tax uh, issue is a major issue, and and these companies end up with an extremely high effective tax rate. Uh, then banking becomes more expensive. So even if you can find a bank uh, that's willing to handle accounts, and 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 when we talk about 
you know, 755 banks out of about 4,200 that are banking the industry. We're not even talking about full-blown financial services. We're talking about, okay, you work for a cannabis company, you're paid by a cannabis company, but we're still going to let you have a bank account here, even though from us, from our perspective, it's more expensive. We have reporting requirements. Oh, and by the way, it's going to cost you more too. That's just one small aspect, but the industry itself, uh, you know, is, is uh, the business is transacted in this industry by way of a lot of money uh, moving in and out of the hands of people who were not only direct plant touching companies, but ancillary service providers. And most of that financing, although it's getting better and we are working with some banks that are actually involved in traditional lending to cannabis companies now, which we hadn't seen in the past. But the fact is that most of this is dominated by uh, the private financial sector, uh, high net worth individuals, private family offices, uh, private equity funds and the like. And if they are going to loan money to a cannabis company, they're going to want to make sure that they're over collateralized uh, and they're going to want to make sure that the interest rate uh, is is pretty sky high, like you mentioned. So before the Fed started raising interest rates, we were seeing extremely high uh, uh, rates of return on, on, on financing to cannabis companies, uh, which, again, affects their their margins. Uh, and another thing that we hear about, but it's not necessarily talked about, is that uh, because of this, you know, effort to make sure these loans are well collateralized or even over collateralized, again, you're you're sort of eliminating from the equation a lot of startups, uh, a lot of minority owned businesses that other, wouldn't otherwise qualify for financing. And so, you know, who's who's getting the money? They're the big multi-state operators with lots of land or facilities that they can uh, that they can encumber uh, because the days of of all of these uh, people who are infusing money into the industry wanting equity have sort of shifted. And and now it's more uh, we see more debt financing in the space than than equity deals. Now, Leafy also uh, wrote about and I've talked about this extensively in the program. Okay, if we can't get to the point where we can <clears throat> help, you know, where legalization can't get to a point where, you know, when multi-state operators trying to be able to go and work in multiple markets, but if they had the opportunity of going interstate, where you could absolutely can see where California could bridge to Nevada, bridge to Oregon, to Washington, Washington State, and create an interstate commerce system. And actually, uh, cannabis, is, cannabis farmers in California could legally sell their crop to patients and connoisseurs in other states because there's a bill that uh, Governor Gavin Newsom had signed, Senate Bill 1326, adding a new chapter to the Business and Professions Code, giving the state governor new powers to sign cannabis trade agreements with other cannabis legal states. The catch? Changes won't take effect until federal law or policy changes. Symbolic. But it is a symbolic precedent to me. And when you see this here, is there anything that could impede state legalization or state legislation that would actually open the door to interstate commerce? Could you see that? I mean, could the governor there be, does he really need to go ahead and wait to go ahead and implement that law? Could he do it? And, you know, wouldn't that be a good advantage that other states could follow? It, it, it certainly would be welcome and wonderful to the industry. I mean, you certainly have states uh, that are, you know, states like California, for example, don't forget, we're here in Florida. 
Okay. And Florida has really had a medical program since 2015. And we really didn't have one until closer to 2018, right? right. Because it was a high, high CBD, low THC law at first. So there are so many lessons that could be learned and so many advantages for people who have years and years and candidly generations of probably illicit experience uh, in growing cannabis, but, but, but certainly uh, on the adult use side, the people who are really connoisseurs are always looking out West uh, and then you have problems in other states like Oregon, where where there may be overproduction, and they can't, you know, these these the, the markets are being driven down. They can't get rid of these crops. So it really would be wonderful, and it certainly makes sense, particularly out west, where you have these all these contiguous states that do allow for adult use consumption of cannabis. So it it it, it is more logical. Uh, than I guess the federal government is willing to entertain at this point, uh, because. As you mentioned, it is symbolic and I can't see it as anything else, perhaps getting themselves teed up for when things changes on the federal side. And so there won't have to be a year or two year delay. Uh, but the reality is that I don't see a workaround uh, prior to federal reform. And candidly, I'm not sure that even if Governor Newsom uh, passes legislation or the state of California passes legislation, I'm not necessarily confident uh, that other contiguous states would agree uh, to potentially jeopardize themselves because if the federal government decides, okay, we're going to start enforcing now, which it really doesn't do in the most in in, in most highly regulated states, particularly medical states, as, yeah. as you guys well know. Um, but if the federal government decided that, hey, now it's time for us to start enforcing because of, you know, perhaps a a, a, a thought that Governor Newsom is thumbing his nose at the federal government. I think that that's going to have a real chilling effect on anything being done uh, before a full-blown federal reform. He just wants to go ahead and create some kind of a progressive gesture to the cannabis industry because look, he's making what, I think it was still what $6 billion he's making off the tax revenue from the cannabis industry. And that's not enough. I remember the last time I read about that, that he felt like, Oh, he needs more revenue from them. Yeah. They're going to cover everything else. Okay. But then this right here, I mean, I can only imagine how much it would exponentiate the amount of revenue coming into that that state and how, you know, forward thinking that would be. But as like you said, he's not going to thumb the state. He's not going to thumb the federal government. Hall. He's going to go for a presidential run at some point. That's where he's destined to be. So, you know, his I time think, in Cal- California be limited to do anything factor, else. Yeah. Say again, I'm yeah. sorry. No, I think that's a big motivating factor. It's an election year. He's got eyes. Uh, it's funny because I like to watch California versus Florida because our governors couldn't be uh, more different from one another. But but you see a lot of times, you know, the motivation is certainly towards, OK, what are my future plans and goals? Well, at least the one thing you can say, no matter who who's in office right now in Florida, <clears throat> that governor is going to have to sign the bill. Because if we get the amendment in 2024 where the petitions have already been signed, we know about that regulate Florida, Michael Bernardi and this, this team there. We yep. know that they're getting the positions all set up. I don't think we're going to have any more uh, opposition like we did the last time with the other competing petition. Right. So we can get the amendment on the ballot in 2024. And I think this time around, compared to 2016, uh, I think adult use can, go, can get the three quarters or what is it, two thirds, I think it needs to be. I think they're going to get right, that. We need the well, 60, 40 last time. They're going to get it this time. And because we already had the medical market for a good amount of time, people were just very familiar with the fact, okay, look at all these stores and they're all consolidating with each other. Now you're seeing big branded stores and they're synonymous and, you know, they're doing business. I don't think anybody, and people are realizing now, oh, the benefit of the plant and people are getting to get, you know, get treatment 
and learn about it. And, you know, they're getting doctors to prescribe. There's enough support now that at this point it will go over. So it's just a matter of if it gets on the ballot, it's going to pass. And then for oh, it, I, get the play. Yeah, I, I agree with you, particularly with the new uh, proposed uh, constitutional amendments. <clears throat> and, uh, truly, even the Bellamy brothers have, uh, have put a lot of money behind. Uh, and with that kind of financing, I, I do anticipate that they'll get the 900 or so thousand signatures that they need and they'll make it to the ballot. And they were very careful with the language. So I am I share your optimism yep. about Florida. And then imagine if going back to the interstate commerce thing, I mean, even if we didn't have federal legalization, if California had the, you had like only this Pacific Coast quadrant that was just right there, the coastline doing interstate. Now you have New York, New Jersey, Connecticut now where they have things and you have that market. Even if we just had that, I mean, the, the benefits and the and the revenue for those various states that just need so much more in terms of tax revenue to, you know, handle their budgets, that would be beneficial to them. So we'll, we'll see what they're going to do anyway. We're going to talk next after a short break about the latest information about the War Act and where things are about federal legalization and where we are with it. We're going to talk about that here with Jonathan Robbins, chair of the Cannabis Practice Group at Ackerman LLP here on Blunt Business. Back after a few minutes. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. We're back with final questions with Jonathan Robbins, chair of the Cannabis Practice Group at Ackerman LLP. So far this year, Jonathan, the House did pass the Marijuana Opportunity and Reinvestment Expungement Act, more, which removed cannabis from the U.S. list of controlled substances, we know. And the act's process and, uh, process, prospects in the Senate are less certain. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Senator Majority Leader from New York, the most powerful Democrat in the upper chamber, and one of the biggest advocates. I mean, I, I'll still give credit. He saw what Colorado did, was concerned, and realized, you know what? Now we see the benefit. Colorado's done such a good job. Then you see California, and then you see that cannabis can be thriving and can be you know, a great business model for the rest of the country. Well, in the act, they already introduced as well the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act, the Senate version of the bill. And it would also include criminal sentence reform, but contain provisions regulating the industry that are much different than more. So I don't know what the difference will they have. I haven't had a chance to read through it extensively, but why do you think the Senate is tabling this bill and the bill could be expedited through reconciliation by now? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's another tough one. I know that the 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 Cannabis uh, Administration and Opportunity Act, the one that's supported by Schumer and, and Booker, mm-hmm. Uh, does have some more extensive social justice reforms and tax uh, and, and and specific taxation language, which will certainly uh, bring a, a great deal of money into the coffers of the federal government, even more perhaps than uh, they're already collecting from right. from 280E. Um, <clears throat> and I and I think a lot of it is is ego driven, right? Uh, so yeah. so uh, was it Jerry Nadler who pushed the Moore Act, but then it's it's Booker and Schumer and uh, who are who are pushing the uh, the Administration and Opportunity Act, which which one has more legs, any legs, greater legs uh, is is again, uh, you know, to me, I think people are focused on the midterms this year. They're all pounding their chests and nothing will get done. They're so close. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, I don't, think so C- I don't think the CAOA was ever uh, well, it never went to a vote. No, in fact, the language is only uh, recently introduced. And then I was reading that uh, Booker has been talking for the last couple of days about a 
a States Plus Act, which is, I guess, a sort of revamped and expanded version of the States Act. So maybe they are bank backing off a little on complete and comprehensive reform and trying to agree to nibble around the edges, even though I said earlier that yeah. I don't think that's really what they want to do. And you know what? I did like the States Act. I like <clears throat> what it looked like in principle. It didn't have all the social equity uh, you know, additions, but I still like the act for what it was worth because anything that is really when it comes to America, what it's states control, what they're doing with their markets and not so, and, and it's just federal oversight with state controlling with their cannabis control boards. <clears throat> the only thing I would say with federal oversight is, you know, not so much about social equity. I mean, yes, absolutely. I, we see what it's doing in New York and people are benefiting from it. But for me, it's also the compliance. We need a set standard compliance for all states to follow. And I'd like to have that. Particularly yeah. if you're going to have uh, operators being able to operate across state lines, right? Because then yeah. you want to be able to make sure that there's consistency in packaging and labeling and uh, and 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 uh, warnings that have to go on those labels and exactly. and testing requirements and the like. And so, again, what a what a what a great advertisement for federal reform. So there could be some universal application. Yeah, it would be nice. It, you, there's it's all there. Enough. Right. And also, I want to make mention that of the other Democrats, where it was Ron Wyden, I think from Oregon, I think it was, that also was in support and he's been quite involved. So it's been those yes, three that have I, been very vocal across the board. Thank you for mentioning Senator Wyden. Yes. Yeah. It's just something where I'm looking and I'm saying, OK, you know, I think that it's just a matter of time. And I, I don't know if it's it's just I don't know what they're waiting on. What what else needs to happen for that? The, the, but it's like. Well, that's the other part, too, is that, I mean, I just think that whatever the administration has right now, whatever agenda they have, you know, it's like why why any if any politician now or anybody right now going forward in terms of, you know, the midterm elections or the presidential elections coming up in 2024, why cannabis is not part of the platform at this point and priority, I mean, if you just run on that, I think you you're going to get a certain amount of, uh, amount of the uh, the voting base to go ahead and follow along, no matter what side you're on. It's pretty no obvious. No matter what, no matter what side you're on, and and listen, particularly given over the last few years when finally people are allowed to have access to some research, and there's going to be some research reform. So on the medical side, people are finally starting to understand uh, that. This isn't just an excuse for people to be able to go out and get high there. I could tell you from my 83 year old mother's perspective that uh, that there are real benefits uh, to medical cannabis. And on the adult use side, you know, I've people have been saying for years and years and years, you know, why the distinction between cannabis and, and alcohol? A lot of it might have to do with lobbying dollars. And, you know, you talked about a little bit ago. Uh, Brasco, Brasco, the the money that's being spent on federal lobbying, but that doesn't even take into account what's going on on the state level, because I oh, think yeah. a lot of people are spending their money trying to make sure that the programs in their particular states look the way that they want them to look, either for business purposes or patient purposes or whatever, uh, or whatever that might be. Right. So, uh, you know, we all have this uh, we all have this sort of uh, idea of what we want and what makes sense. And, and and we walk around with question marks floating over our heads. Why has nothing happened? And and why are we now, you know, two years into a, a, an administration that had held out hope uh, for the industry and nothing has happened? But, um, you know, 
yeah perhaps it'll perhaps it'll all uh at, at least uh be a catalyst for for the psychedelic industry because they can learn from the mistakes of the cannabis industry yeah so I want to take a minute. They're going to talk about Ackerman. Ackerman.com, A-K-E-R-M-A-N.com. Recognized by the Financial Times as among the most forward-thinking law firms in the industry. Uh, take a few minutes. Take a minute or two. You're going to just talk to people about what you're doing there at Ackerman. And, and for those that want to go ahead and work with your team in terms of uh, guidance, in terms of banking, in terms of uh, legal uh, efforts, if you can go ahead and talk about that real quick. Sure. I'm happy for a little, a little self-promotion. So uh, it's Ackerman. The firm's been around about a hundred years. It's a national law firm with about 24, I think, offices throughout the country in between 750 or 700, 750 or so attorneys. So this firm's been around a long, long time. It's a big national firm. It's really wonderful firm. My, my only the second place I've ever worked in my 30 year career um, and I approached them about starting the cannabis practice back in 2013. They, uh, of course, were very receptive, but maybe do a lot of research to make sure that uh, I wasn't going to get the firm in hot water because, look, we're an ancillary service provider, just like a lighting company or an accounting firm or even you. Um, we're, we're, we're providing, providing a service to the industry and we're being paid uh, by people that are plant touching, even though. Uh, we're not necessarily plant touching. So we had to approach it very, very carefully. And since then, uh, I have to say it's been quite a, a ride and a learning experience for me. We were the very first national law firm to start a dedicated cannabis practice. And and we did certainly fill uh, a, a void or a need uh, because as the industry matures, uh, so do the deals and so do the transactions and so do the types of things that people are doing. And so, you you know, it's especially if you're dealing with an industry that uh, is is changing every day and evolving every day and waters are difficult to navigate, you got to get good professionals. And I'm not just talking about lawyers. It could be accountants or insurance professionals or anybody else. And so we've been fortunate enough to have a fantastic team that has been able to provide services, not only to plant touching companies, but to banks, uh, to seed the sale, you know, tracking software companies to just about anybody that is even thinking about doing any kind of business with a cannabis company and has reservations. Uh, a lot of times that's the advice we're doing. And then of course we're, you know, working on a lot of financing transactions and debt deals and real estate deals. So it, for me, it's, it's really fun. It's refreshing. It's different from what I had done, uh, you know, for the years prior. And, and uh, we are, we are here to serve and answer any questions anybody might have. Ackerman. I should have said that before, but I'll, I'll go ahead and make my apologies here. Uh, Ackerman.com. No, no needed as long as it's spelled right. Um, well, I, I think I got that. A-K-E-R-M-A-N.com. You, uh, you, sure, you sure did. And thank you. And don't worry about it. Hey, my pleasure. Jonathan Robbins here, chair of the Cannabis Practice Group for Ackerman LLP, joining us here on Blunt Business. Thanks again for making time. Really appreciate you getting, answering uh, a lot in the area of banking and finance and uh, really the legalization effort. Thanks for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Glad to have you. And also, thank you, listeners, for listening in for another Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, Features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.